Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week. I'm Kim Hollis, and I'm going to Disney World. Well, not until November, but still. With me are Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer who is more Bob Marley than Madam Web. Believe it or not, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who will never again allow Raul to use a $5,000 microphone. <laughs> <laughs> And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's going to fire his sound guy. Oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> Oopsie. Hashtag one job. <laughs> sorry about my audio last week. No excuses. It sucked. I'm sorry. This week, the impending sale or potential imminent collapse of Paramount Global continues to send shockwaves through the streaming industry. Last week, Paramount CBS broadcast the Super Bowl to staggering ratings, marking the single most watched telecast of all time. Thanks, Taylor Swift. <laughs> but the simulcast on Paramount Plus was largely met with negative reactions as viewers experienced lag and crashes. But record ratings wouldn't save the jobs for hundreds of employees. In a poorly timed announcement just days before the Super Bowl, CEO Bob Backish announced that there would be layoffs. But where and how many would have to wait until after the football game? The axe finally dropped two days after the record broadcast as Paramount announced 800 layoffs. This followed the news that international content had been stripped from Paramount Plus, including One Night with former Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker, and the high-profile limited series. Series, the Burning Girls. And while bidders continue to mull over making an offer to buy Paramount, there may be one less interested party as it appears that Apollo Global Management may be walking away. The raft of bad news was enough to convince investor Warren Buffett to reduce his stake in the studio. And finally, news emerged on Friday that Paramount and Comcast, NBC Universal, may be in talks to merge their streaming services, Paramount Plus and Peacock. That was just one week, folks. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you, now, Kim. Well, well now, now I don't feel bad for letting my Paramount Plus subscription expire this week. <laughs> Now I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to give you my hot take on the potential merger in a second. But can you imagine your CEO announcing that there's going to be layoffs, but you're not going to know who or where until after you're expected to give it a your all for when the Super Bowl happens? That's no way to inspire your employees. Yeah, just to a larger point, we go back and forth about valuations on Paramount a lot, but let's just talk about leadership for a second here. There was literally no reason whatsoever to do that. He is basically saying, we're about to broadcast something. We're expecting as many as 200 million people to watch, which happened, by the way. And oh, by the way, a lot of you are fired. I don't want to say who. Bye. Who does that? So, yeah, I cautioned everyone to take any Peacock Paramount Plus merger news with a grain of salt. Hold on. Is this going to be the same merger as with uh, Warner Brothers Discovery? Are all three of them merging now in this theoretical thing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good reminder, David, because people flipped out when the rumor came out that Paramount was talking about merging with Warner Bros. Discovery, and it sure looks like nothing's going to come of that. So, yes, 
maybe NBCU and Paramount had some discussions about merging their streaming services, but that seems highly unlikely. I think they've all learned a lesson in the past when they all tried to collaborate on Hulu and they all just quarreled all the time. Bringing two studios together on a single streaming service just is not very advisable. Yeah, I think what we've learned this week pretty emphatically, I mean, we already kind of knew it, but we talk about, you know, Pepsi, Coke, McDonald's, Burger King. The key is it is fine to be Burger Burger King. It is fine to be Pepsi because you are one of the two in market share. Right now, there is Netflix way, way, way above. And then Disney has differentiated itself with its trifecta of streaming services. The rest of these giant corporations in this oligopoly do not have a plan forward and they're all just kind of talking to each other like i I don't know what are you doing Uh, i don't know i guess we could i don't know merge or i could buy you or you could buy me nobody wants to take control of this because nobody is confident about how they are going to monetize any of it and this is a disaster any way you slice it but again the same thing we said with warner brothers discoveries potential merger applies here there is probably too much debt for this to be a viable idea that's my hot take at the moment but you know we have seen some really bad ideas shoved through which is how david zaslav is in charge of warner brothers discovery right now so i never say never on these things another thing to take away from this is if paramount were to commit to some kind of merger of its streaming service with peacock they'd be burning any potential buyer of paramount global with that new agreement it's not necessarily something that a potential buyer wants maybe it is maybe it isn't but you don't want to be making big decisions like this and then still going to bidders out there and saying, and this is what our company is today. It's like, that's not what I was bidding on yesterday. You've changed the pieces on the board and now, well, I'm going to have to change what my bid is on your company. But hey, there was at least one more bit of good news for Paramount Global as last Monday's return of Jon Stewart to The Daily Show saw big ratings on Paramount-owned Comedy Central. Jon Stewart's The Problem with Jon Stewart on Apple TV Plus was canceled last year. Stewart says it was because Apple didn't, and this is a good quote, didn't want him to say anything that might get him in trouble. That's really a rather vague statement. In trouble with who? I assume eventually Stewart would turn his sights on Apple itself, and uh, you probably don't want to piss off Tim Cook. I mean, you're kind of joking about it, but given everything we're hearing about the Apple Vision Pro causing health issues this week, this probably wouldn't be a good time for Jon Stewart to have a broadcast where he could really speak his mind on things. I also want to circle back to uh, something that was said about the uh, the Super Bowl broadcast. We shouldn't sleep on the fact that this was an unmitigated triumph for Paramount+. Plus, and my understanding is that less than 1% of consumers actually had the technical glitches. It's kind of what we were talking talking about when Amazon did its first Thursday night game in September of 2022, where we all, all of us on this podcast experienced some difficulties during that and gradually they went away. You hear a lot more about the complaints disproportionately to the people who had a smooth process. Overall, everyone I've talked to in tech felt that this was just a shining achievement for Paramount Plus because they had certainly never tried anything of this scale before. And if you've made more than 99% of the customers happy, you've done your job. I actually quite like Paramount Plus's infrastructure right now, which isn't what's being said because the company is in such sad state, but it's something important to keep in mind as we discuss mergers. Was the Nickelodeon simulcast also on Paramount Plus as well? Because they did not market that enough at all, because if I'd known that, I would have watched that feed instead. It was, yes. Okay. (laughs) 
and it was absolutely amazing. Folks, if you know nothing about this, go to YouTube, find highlights. It's quite possibly the greatest thing you will ever watch involving live sports broadcasting. I'm not even joking. <laughs> Back five yards. <laughs> Over at Amazon's Prime Video, the advertising era has begun and consumers aren't happy. In addition to inserting ads into the content for streamers who previously had none, features such as Dolby Vision High Dynamic Range Pictures and Dolby Atmos Sound have been moved to the higher priced tier. So, of course, there's a class action lawsuit now from subscribers. And the jumble of streaming offerings from Amazon continues as they're raising the price of MGM Plus from $5.99 a month to $6.99 a month. And if you were expecting to see American Rust on Amazon's ad-supported but free streaming service Freebie, you're out of luck as it's moving to Prime Video. To be fair, I don't think anyone was expecting to see American Rust anywhere. This show, a crime drama starring Jeff Daniels, is a whole ball of wax unto itself. Season one was on Showtime, but got canceled. Freebie then rescued it. They renewed it for season two, but it's now moving to Prime Video before season two can even premiere. The Leverage reboot, Leverage Redemption, is also jumping from Freebie to Prime Video with season three. And Bosch, which started on Prime Video, but had the spinoff Bosch Legacy on Freebie is now having its next spinoff go to Prime Video. I guess Amazon isn't happy to just get your ad dollars. They want your subscription money, too. That sounds like HBO Go versus HBO Now versus HBO. This is just a mess and they need to get their house in order. But I really think the most important thing here is they knew all along they were going to change what was available over the basic and they made absolutely no mention of anything but the advertising. And so not having the Dolby Vision and not having the Dolby Atmos, those aren't things that matter a lot to most customers. I really think that's fair to say. They're great features, don't get me wrong, but I don't think most people could deal breaker but the fact that they didn't mention it and they knew it was changing that is shady and that is not the sort of thing we need amazon to be doing as it tries to become you know the other thing that's in competition with disney for that second spot Finally, Roku reported their quarterly earnings this week, and its stock promptly dropped nearly 25%. What happened? Um, Roku tried to paint a rosy picture with its earnings, beating Wall Street expectations and reporting 80 million active accounts. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of the impact on the Roku stock was outside of the company's control, and it has largely to do with Walmart's broadside at Amazon. It looks like Walmart is going to buy TV manufacturer Vizio. And it's not because Walmart needs a manufacturer of TVs. They already have their own house brand, ONN. Vizio has its own streaming platform, Smartcast. And Walmart wants all that juicy consumer data, just like Amazon gets from their Fire TV users. The loser here is Roku, who makes the set-top software on the ONN TVs. Roku will get cut out in this battle between Amazon and Walmart. The fact of the matter is that the big guys in streaming are becoming increasingly vertically integrated. You watch Amazon Prime Video on Amazon Fire TVs, or you watch YouTube TV on Google TVs, or you watch Apple TV Plus on Apple TV players. Roku's been trying to build up their original content on the Roku channel, but it's barely registering with consumers so far. They need to become a key block in somebody's vertical integration soon, or they're going to get left behind. 
Yeah, I think to a certain extent with this, what we're witnessing, and it, it's kind of an obscure reference, but for a long time, people have been dinging that everyone involved with cable because they could see the future on the horizon. And no matter what the revenue is right now, no matter what the market share is right now, people anticipated that fragmentation and punished the companies that were involved on their market values. That is what's happening right now with Roku, which had objectively a very good earnings report. I forget what our old catchphrase was about, I wish I'd bought Roku. Obviously, you know, the stock market, that's always a moving target. But we've all known for a while now that Roku was doing extraordinarily well, and it's been consistent. But three or four years from now, it looks like the anticipation of market erosion is based in reality. Because, I mean, that vertical integration thing, that is really going to bite Roku, which just cannot compete with Walmart and Amazon. It's as simple as that. So, Tim, unexpectedly, or maybe expectedly, we have box office stories this week. Yeah, we haven't talked about it lately because it's been kind of terrible. Uh, your winner last weekend was Argyle is $6.2 million in its second weekend. Oh, my God. How awful. But we do have good news this week because one new... Good release... news about Madam Web? No, please hold that thought. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, the calendar aligned pretty well with Valentine's Day falling on a Wednesday. So we had two new releases, one of which... Bob Marley, One Love, the biopic, of course, about the famous musician. $14 million on, on a Wednesday, out of nowhere. And then it's got $7.5 million on Friday. So $25 million already, that's going to turn into like $40 million in five days. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that Kim is probably the surprised person here because the first time she saw that was being announced, she said, that'll do better than anyone anticipates. He is a seminal figure in history with a really fun musical style. And, you know, you can call it reggae if you want, but most people associate reggae with Bob Marley and telling his life story is fantastic. And then you have the fact that he's also, you know, let's be honest, a reefer icon as well. There were a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this. And it is another title that maybe just maybe people should have anticipated a little bit more, but I kind of get it too, Tim. I mean, at this point, it is really hard to predict that a film will be successful with any confidence, isn't it? Yeah, honestly, you nothing is a sure bet anymore. And so anything that does better than expected is just a pleasant surprise given how sad box office has, has been so far this year. To your point, you're talking about Argyle's second weekend, and you have to realize the fact that Argyle is sitting at $33 million right now, and we were joking about the budget. Now, they have since tried to do damage control on the budget. They're now claiming $65 million, which is less than what was first reported. But even at $65 million, it is a really, really bad performance. And that just seems like it keeps happening over and over again. And Tim, you've got the latest example and it's much, much worse than our doll, isn't it? Oh, yes. Let's talk about the other new release this weekend. And that is Madam Web, the latest release in Sony's Spider-Man universe. Six million on Wednesday. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, but then only 4.3 million on Friday. So 12.5 million in three days. And I would be surprised if it came out with 20 million for the weekend. And thankfully, this didn't cost as much as I was expecting it to. Apparently 80 million, but it's not 
going to make that back even come even close to that. And this this film is what is what was, what was the uh, let's see. Oh, 13 percent fresh at Rotten Tomatoes. It is currently lower than Morbius in terms of Rotten Tomatoes. Score. Oh, no. It has the same cinema score as Morbius. And you remember how we were all talking about what a disaster the Marvels was? The Marvels opened to 46.1 million. Tim, if your life depended on it right now, would you guess over or under on Madam Web making 46.1 million? I'm going to lean towards under. Exactly. This this is savage. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, it had the most apathetic marketing campaign I can ever recall. Kim and I were talking about this just the other day. Did you see any ads for it, Tim? And if you did, didn't they make you laugh? I did not. And then the one thing I remember, though, is a few weeks ago, the host of Saturday Night Live was Dakota Johnson. And I was like, wait, why is she hosting? What, what's she in? What's coming out? I had no idea this movie even was going to happen until it showed up and bobbed horribly. And then Raul found a, a hilarious like thread of market the marketing campaign for it just how sad and pathetic it was it is comical and oh god there's still more sony movies to come craven the hunter was supposed to come out last year and they pushed that back to later this year oh this is just going to be a huge disaster oh my god yes 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 as a matter of fact Raul's going to touch on a story there was an amazon deal that is no longer going to happen because this is going so poorly at this point if you're not spider-man and you're not venom there is no point with Sony. And it has become a really glaring black eye. I mean, this entire thing was a debacle and we all saw it coming. The most amazing thing to me, do you remember that Bad Bunny was going to do a Sony movie? Uh, Vaguely. He was going to do El Muerto and everybody was like, who's El Muerto? And I was like, it doesn't matter because it's Bad Bunny. That's the only selling point of that. He went and found some obscure character he thought he could do well. Then Bad Bunny started investigating, realized Sony's a debacle, wanted no part of it, got out. (laughs) They're once again talking about an El Muerto movie without Bad Bunny. They have no ideas whatsoever. And the only highlight we'll ever have for Madam Web, the only highlight was Dakota Johnson, bless her heart, delightfully unfiltered, just saying anything that pops in her head during the press interviews for this. She didn't care. She was long past caring the instant that trailer debuted and everybody laughed and laughed and laughed at it. She quit on the film that night. (laughs) She, uh, I believe she fired her agent the week the trailer came out. (laughs) Um, Completely justified. The news was, well, this goes back to last year, I think it was, or maybe even at the end of the year before, Sony had announced that they were going to be doing the whole Spider-Man universe thing. They'd be making bunches of movies and series. And because Lord and Miller had been so successful with the the Spider-Man animated movies, they were going to be in charge. They were put in charge of all these productions. And one of the things they announced was that they were going to do a series based on a character called Silk. The series was going to be called Silk Spider Society. And uh, they had actually licensed that one to Amazon. Now, what happened was that we then had a writer's strike and so the, of course, the writers for that show couldn't write for it. When the strike ended, everyone was expected to then go back to work in their writer's rooms and writer's room for Silk Spider Society didn't get started up again. The WGA, the Writers Guild, was actually quite concerned about this. Contractually, you're supposed to restart the writer's room. Eventually, Sony restarted the writer's room almost because they didn't want to get sued by uh, by the WGA. But the Ankler, a, um, a newsletter on Hollywood 
Hollywood News is reporting now that the entire writer's room for Silk Spider Society has been fired and the series is going back into turnaround. It looks like they're going to try again, but this is hot on the heels of the failure of Madam Web. It sure seems like maybe Sony is rethinking their entire Spider-Man universe business here. And let me be clear. This is important, and this is not sarcasm or hyperbole. The one with the worst buzz of all is Craven the Hunter. Well, certainly they didn't. They push that one back. The initial trailer was a disaster. And let's remember the poster with Craven and what do you have? Like an eight pack of abs? Yep. They <laughs> pushed it a full year. And I want to go ahead and say this because it's important. This is what we're starting to see with all theatrical releases. Historically, we would still see, you know, 70 million thrown at this for marketing. That doesn't happen anymore. Until the pandemic, studios could justify the expense of the marketing campaign campaign on even loss leaders because they were investing in the future of the product when it had the later life cycle iterations. That doesn't happen now. They are no longer willing to have these formerly acceptable losses, which means they just leave a title like Madam Web to die. And that is what happened. You know what? I, this ties into something I had noticed the other other day during the Super Bowl, actually. Remember one of the highlights every year during the Super Bowl commercials was the big trailers for movies coming out during the year? Yep. You don't get mm-hmm. that anymore. Now you get a much smaller commercial instead of the full trailer. You get a much smaller commercial that says, go online to watch the full trailer available now. Because these movies don't have the marketing budgets anymore for a two-minute Super Bowl ad. They'd rather spend it just cheap out and go 30 seconds and then have you watch it online, which is a big problem for box office. You're absolutely correct. But I'll also say this. Most people got more enjoyment out of the two minutes of the Deadpool and Wolverine trailer they watched online than the 90 minutes they suffered in a theater from Adam Webb. So. <laughs> True, but we're comparing Deadpool and Wolverine to, to Madam Webb. That's, that's not fair. I do have one more point to bring up. I noticed, noticed recently Disney was putting the three big Pixar releases that came out straight to Disney Plus during COVID back into theaters. Soul they put out in January. Last weekend, Turning Red came out and Luca is scheduled to come out next month. These are not doing well at all. Now, is it because they're not marketing this at all or is it just not in the theaters? They're all in about like maybe 1,500 theaters. Yeah, this was Disney basically apologizing to all the people who worked in Pixar who were extraordinarily understanding in a really difficult circumstance. So they finally do get that theatrical release, even though, you know, it's been mostly ignored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neither movie cracked a million dollars for the weekend. So I'm just curious whether it was it was just basically saying, hey, sorry about this to the people who worked on it rather than trying to make some extra money. And is this validating I, their strategy to just put the movies on on Disney Plus unless they unless they know it's a surefire winner? Well, I think that when you can stay at home and watch it, you're just always admitting the fact that a lot of people will do that rather than come to a theater. And no matter how good a film like Soul is, and it is spectacular, it's an Academy Award winner for Best Animated Feature. It's still something that you can watch at home and you just can't overcome that. The uh, the other thing I'll say here is Disney was slightly emboldened by the success of The Nightmare Before Christmas, which we discussed in October because right, it actually right. finished in the top five. They had hoped maybe there would be that demand. But again, no marketing budget. People don't really know this has happened, so they don't pay enough attention to it. If there had been like some push for this, 
I think it could have done better, but the push would not have justified the expense. It's kind of the calculus we're watching drive Hollywood now. Okay, yeah, I found that interesting that they they tried this, and I just feel like I didn't hear about it till I saw them both, you know, completely flop in terms of box office, even relative to the mediocre number of screens they were getting. All right, so uh, ratings, I guess. Yes, please. Okay, we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, January fifteenth to Sunday, January twenty first. Your top original show is, of course, Reacher on Prime Video. One point two billion minutes viewed for sixteen episodes. The final episode of the second season premiered on the 19th. Uh, by the way, we have two examples on the original chart this week of what I would probably call a show leveling up in its second season, where the first season was released entirely at once, but it was such a hit that the streaming service decided to release the second season weekly after dropping the first couple episodes. More on that in a bit, but I did find that very interesting with two specific shows. Second goes to Netflix's American Nightmare, 1.1 billion minutes for three episodes. Unfortunately, this is not a documentary about Cody Rhodes, but I really wish it was because it is, of course, a true crime documentary. I wish it was based on the Alan Wake DLC of the same name. Ooh, I need to check those games out. This is a huge number for three episodes that just arrived on the 17th. But once again, I say do better. Fool Me Once from Netflix, still over a billion minutes for eight episodes and third, while Percy Jackson and the Olympians from Disney Plus is at 529 million minutes for six episodes with a couple more to go in the season. Uh, some more things we've seen for a couple weeks now. Netflix's The Brother's Son is fifth, 511 million minutes, and I'm actually surprised that hasn't been renewed yet, while Boy Swallows Universe takes six, 431 million minutes for seven episodes. Peacock, yes, Peacock, gets two shows on the originals chart this week. First is Ted and Seventh, 429 million minutes for seven episodes, the first full week of availability of the season after premiering on the 11th. But new in eighth is The Traders, 402 million minutes for 15 episodes. The second season of the reality competition premiered on the 12th, and then episodes arrive weekly with the fourth premiering on the 18th of January. This is a absolutely legitimate hit for Peacock, and the other example of a show going from the binge model to the weekly model in its second season after proving to be a hit. We're I'm actually going to have the reverse in the next one, but mm -hmm. there is an explanation for both of these. And Raul, you called it last week. What was it? Actually, I wonder if maybe Ted didn't get the bump I was expecting it to get. It had 542 million minutes last week in mm -hmm. a abbreviated release. I genuinely expected it to get a higher rating the following week. You were because expecting of all, more. I do remember that. Yes. Now. Yeah. Because of all the advertising for Ted during the uh, wildcard game. And Ted actually had a hundred million minutes fewer this week in a full week of release. So I guess everyone who wanted to see Ted watched it in its first week of release. Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard actually better things than I thought about it. I think we sort of discussed that last week, but I feel like the the audience for that was was limited. I feel like the movies were so long ago. It's like, wait, Ted now? But it's Seth MacFarlane. You just let him do whatever he, he wants. Yeah, I think in that way, it's a lot like that 70s show where you're really only going for the one-time nostalgia hit. But I absolutely believe neither of these shows would have been on the list if they had not gotten the millions of people watching the NFL playoff game mm -hmm. that they were able to market and thereby raise awareness, which ties back to the discussion we were just having about box office. Marketing needs to be free for people running streaming services to be interested in it, and it has grown too expensive for theatrical release discussions. Yeah, I, I do think there was anticipation for the Traders second season. I'm not surprised to see it. I am more surprised to see it so soon. I thought maybe like by the end of the uh, the second season, it may like have shown up, but uh, it basically hit with the premiere is actually really interesting for me because this, this show has it has its fans and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Returning in ninth is The Bear on Hulu, 391 million minutes for 18 episodes. Didn't have new episodes, but we have never seen an Academy Awards impact on the movie's chart, but here we have an Emmy Awards impact as it was the winner for Outstanding Comedy Series 
series and a ton of acting awards. And that was enough to get people to either rewatch it or check it out for the first time because those aired on the 15th. Yeah, this is the inverse I was talking about where in season two, the bear went ahead and encouraged binging. Mm -hmm. And so when it left the charts, we kind of thought it was gone. But what we could not have expected was for it to win the overall Best Emmy and then for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress. So it definitely had that heightened awareness because people were like, wow, this must be really good. And hey, guess what? It's really, really good. Uh, Originals wraps up with The Crown from Netflix, 374 million minutes for its 63 total episodes. The movie's chart, meanwhile, is exceptionally stupid this week. It is still led by Lyft, uh, a billion minutes for the Kevin Hart comedy. Sure, fine, whatever. But second goes to The Legend of Tarzan, 644 million minutes. Yes, this is the 2016 movie. Uh, but it's here, of course, because it showed up on Netflix on January 18th. And it's not the only movie that did. Those poor, poor people. <laughs> uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie is third, 453 million minutes, while Apple TV Plus's Killers of the Flower Moon is fourth, 440 million minutes viewed. So it was up to five viewers this week. <laughs> Queen Pins lands at fifth, 428 million minutes. This is, of course, the 2021 comedy You Don't Remember at All, starring Kristen Bell and Kirby Howell Baptiste. Here is more Netflixing for you because it apparently had a small theatrical release and didn't make anything, and then went to Paramount Plus via Showtime in like September 2021. It was therefore never heard of again until January 18th, 2024. Let's play a game. Yeah, true or false? We've watched this. False. True. That tells you the whole story right there. <laughs> I mean, we, we love both those those leads, so I'm not surprised that you guys watched it. But yeah, exactly. I It's very funny to me that Kim was no recollection of it. Prime Video's roleplay, we saw arrive last week. It's six, 301 million minutes. But also from Prime in seventh is Fast X, 266 million minutes. Wait, wasn't this on Peacock at one point? Because it's, you know, it's a universal film series. Uh, well, not anymore. I have no idea when it showed up on Prime, but I checked earlier and it's no longer on Peacock because, as we like to say, it's a licensing nightmare. I, I can't imagine the frustration of people who actually do want to watch these movies and these franchises trying to locate these movies. Yeah, this is one of the things I hate the most. If you're going to license, license non-exclusively, share. That is the simple thing to do. Yes, they will pay less for it, but you don't upset or disrupt your subscribers, which should be what you care about the most. But the people making decisions only care about the bottom line on the balance sheet, and they fail to see that one impacts the other. This is maddening. You said the key word there, David, non-exclusive, and I do have more on that in a bit on the acquired chart. Uh, the Equalizer 3 has been around for a few weeks now. It's 8th, 265 million minutes. And our other and final ridiculous entry of the week in 9th is Queen Bees, 263 million minutes. This is a 2021 romantic comedy starring a bunch of old people. Ellen Burstyn, James Caan, and margaret Christopher Lloyd. I have no idea where it was before, but on January 17th, it arrived on Netflix. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Queen pins and queen, queen bees. Yes. Very weird, but somehow purely coincidental, unless people were searching. Why were you searching Netflix for the queen in middle of January? I got nothing, but you're not going to be able to figure out where this was before because this was distributed by Gravitas Ventures. So there is not going to be a pattern there for you. <laughs> Uh, Society of the Snow wraps up the movies chart, 251 million minutes. And notice no Disney Plus movies on the chart this week. 
However, they do lead acquired, as it's nine shows we've seen before, led by the almighty Bluey, 1.5 billion minutes. Three shows are actually over a billion. Uh, Young Sheldon and Grey's Anatomy also top that number. Uh, our new show actually is in fourth, and it comes close. This is us, 929 million minutes for 111 episodes. So I was looking into this, and yeah, it showed up on January 8th the entire series. This was an NBC series, but it was a 20th century television production. So it was considered a Disney property. So it's it was on Hulu. Uh, in fact, it's actually still on Hulu, but Nielsen doesn't seem to think so because they don't count it on their chart. And there's actually an update to this. We've started seeing this thing now where other sites will post Nielsen's data before Nielsen does. And some of those sites were showing this as Netflix and Hulu, which is what it should be. But then when Nielsen posted its own stuff after the fact, it is only showing Netflix, which is technically wrong. So it's just that much of a mess. Yeah, so I don't remember if we had talked about this, but this is the first big show to pop up on Netflix, or at least make the acquired chart, that is part of the non-exclusive licensing deal that Disney and Netflix announced, uh, and that there will be more to come over the year. Uh, shows such as Lost, How I Met Your Mother, Prison Break, Home Improvement, uh, something called Archer, uh, will all be showing up on Netflix at some point in 2024. It was a really smart deal for both people because, I mean, once you get past the fact that maybe you should be exclusive with your content, which I realize everyone feels a different way about that. But if you are going to be non-exclusive, you want to pick stuff that is not core to your brand. And conversely, if you're shopping for it, you want to pick shows that definitely will have an impact. This Is Us is perfect in that regard because people don't associate it with Disney. Mm -hmm. But for Netflix, it is an absolutely phenomenal, very well-loved show that has a passionate fan base. And then there's a lot of curious onlookers who are like, I've heard all the buzz about this. Maybe I should check it out. So it could very well have a Suits-like steady performance. Yeah, I expect this to be much higher next week and maybe you know challenge Bluey, who knows. And I guess just to return the favor, since it's currently exclusive to Netflix, Grey's Anatomy will also show up on Hulu. Even though we know that won't have any impact on the Nielsen numbers, I'm curious to see if Nielsen will then reflect that in, the, in their listing of it, crediting it to both Netflix and Hulu. Yeah, this just demonstrates the the flaw of Nielsen segregating its content into acquired and original, especially for shows that have new episodes coming out. So not necessarily This Is Us, but yes, shows like Bluey or Young Sheldon or Grey's Anatomy. All of these have new episodes still. Uh, so it's a Grey's Anatomy. Yes. <laughs> so the logic, the algorithm at Nielsen is broken and it's just so very sloppy. I wish that uh, they would rethink it. But on the other hand, the fact that they actually segregate this into three different top 10 charts means that we probably get three times as much data as we would have gotten otherwise. Because yes, they do put out an, an aggregate top 10 every week. But if that's all we got, then we wouldn't know what was number 11 or 12 or 13 or 14. So we do have to count those blessings. Yeah. As a reminder, if you weren't listening during the early days of the podcast, when we started covering the Nielsen ratings, it originally was just a top 10 and we actually are databasing this stuff and in the database we have a, a like a divide where it suddenly went from 10 shows to 30 shows because that complicated the process but we're glad to have it because we want all the information we should get to a point where the top 100 shows on streaming should be readily available and we have a pretty good idea of what the catalog content would be that would consistently show outside the top 30, but inside the top 100, because those shows recur. And we are seeing it this week with like the bear where it has suddenly reappeared. I don't think it like spiked as much as you might expect. It just gradually increased more because of the Emmy buzz. Okay. Thank you, Tim. 
In our green lights and cancellations this week, Apple TV Plus isn't going to leave viewers hanging as they've renewed Invasion about an alien invasion for a third season. This is one of those prestige TV shows that Apple TV Plus is running these days. It looks fantastic. On the other hand, I haven't actually watched a single episode of it. I sure hope somebody is. I think it deserves some viewership, but then again, it's never showed up in the top 10 either. Hulu and Disney Plus are so thrilled with the success of the first season of Goosebumps that they've renewed it for a second season and are changing everything about it, turning it into an anthology with a whole new cast. This reminds me of that pink lyric, L.A. told me you'll be a pop star. All you have to change is everything you are. If they're renewing it, but bringing back absolutely nobody, they didn't get renewed. I remember that Justin Long was actually a pretty recognizable face in that first season. I don't think that he was necessarily the reason it was a success, but it was interesting to see him there for Goosebumps season one. They're moving towards more of an anthology format with this one because, honestly, that is what the books are. And it looks like it's probably the brand that's more important than who's actually in front of the cameras. Yeah, that's a fair point, although I still would recommend it doesn't have to be Justin Long, but like someone like the Watcher on the What If series who at least ties it all together through narration. Otherwise, I think it'll be incoherent. But it's not all good news at Hulu, as Chris Estrada's comedy about a Latino ex-gang member, This Fool, has been canceled after two seasons. I think the title hurt it if you think about it as it being spoken by a Latino gang member. Like, this fool's going to get himself killed. You realize, oh, that's what they're going with the title. The weirdest thing about it was that Michael Imperioli, who played the young mobster in The Sopranos, plays essentially a kind of father figure here for some of the other ex-gang members in the series. It's been a few years since The Sopranos, I suppose. But yeah, it just didn't ever seem to get an audience, and so it's done after two. Netflix has renewed Survival of the Thickest for a second season, and creator Michelle Buteau has set a second comedy special on the streamer. As mentioned earlier, The Traders is a bona fide hit for Peacock, so a season three renewal was inevitable. And to capitalize on Traders Mania, they're importing the Traders UK season two, Australia season two, the first seasons of each are actually already on Peacock, and even New Zealand season one sometime next month. And I'm sure all that saturation is not going to hurt the show at all. Finally, Evil, which started as a series on CBS before jumping to Paramount Plus, will end with season four. So what you're saying is that Mike Coulter is available to reprise his role as Luke Cage? As long as I get to see Mike Coulter somewhere, I'm good. Or Master Chief, which would frankly be better for us right now. Mm. Or he could appear on Elspeth. That's true. The other thing to uh, mention about this is that obviously they weren't expecting this, or at least they were hoping it wouldn't happen because the female lead on the show was like, please save us Netflix on social media. So they're in that stage of denial right now. All right. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I recently finished reading The Three-Body Problem, which is coming as a series on Netflix and has already appeared as a series from China on Peacock. This book is hard science fiction. It is hard science fiction. It's very interesting. It's heavy math, heavy physics. If you can think of it in math or science, it's all there. I'm very interested to see how 
how they bring it all together for the show. Having seen the trailer, I get the sense that I'm going to need to go ahead and read the second book because I feel like there's a lot of characters there that perhaps I haven't seen yet. It's interesting. Good book. Recommend it. And looking forward to the series. Kim, do you feel that it suffers at all from the fact that it wasn't actually originally written in English? Not necessarily. I think the translator was very diligent. They have footnotes for any items that might be confusing to an English speaker where, you know, something might not have context for us. And I think that was really important. I think they did a terrific job. I think there's a reason why people have enjoyed the book so much. Raul, how about you? Well, I cut my segment last week because of, you know, audio problems. <laughs> I uh, will mention briefly that I talked about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning on Paramount Plus last week. This is where Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt goes up against an evil AI, and it's got all the cliches you would imagine about an AI, right down to the spooky computer noises every time they cut to the AI. But the action sequences, particularly a car chase in Rome, were excellent. If uh, you check your brain at the door, it's a perfectly fine Mission Impossible movie. I also mentioned The Equalizer 3, which is largely in Italian. Get ready to do a lot of reading if you watch that movie. I honestly don't remember if I saw The Equalizer 2, but uh, I'm sure it doesn't matter. Denzel Washington reteams with his frequent collaborator, director Anton Fuqua, for a whole lot of headshots and knives to the throat. Italy's going to need a lot more mob guys. This week, I watched Bottoms on Prime Video. And this movie is Bananas. Marshawn Lynch plays a major role in the movie and deserves a Best Actor nomination. Ayu Edebiri, who had a spectacular 2023, is virtually unrecognizable in her leading role as Josie, a high school kid with a crush on a popular girl. Edebiri is a freaking chameleon. Josie and her best friend, PJ, accidentally start a fight club in school in order to attract the popular girls. Hilarity ensues. This movie is fast-paced. I can't imagine someone writing the script while sober. The fight choreography is somewhat lacking, but that's not really the point here. This movie plays like a 21st century Heathers, and there's even a nod to that movie in this one. The climax is everything you want. It's utterly tragic that Bottoms didn't get a full release in theaters. The R-rated comedy gave it a real try in 2023. No Hard Feelings never lived up to its potential, even if it had copious nudity, and Joyride was a mess, but Bottoms redeems them all. All right, Tim, what's been keeping you busy? Uh, well, as you can tell, I have been kind of sick most of the week, but I did stay home one from uh, work one day and needed something to, to do. So I caved and finally picked up Octopath Traveler 2, even though I was really waiting for a sale. As much as I love the first one, yeah, everything I read said the second one's even better. And even just like a few hours in, I can already tell that it is. Uh, this game did just come out last year. I think Octopath Traveler was like 2018. So yeah, there's definitely noticeable improvements, just the quality of life additions in, in terms of the gameplay and just the looks beautiful. The music is amazing. I don't know how they made an amazing game even better, but somehow they did. Uh, so I am looking forward to putting like you know, almost 100 hours into this one like I did the first one. Yep, it is amazing. David, how about you? Yeah, so I have finally started watching uh, season four of For All Mankind. Flashing back to a year ago when we were talking about this on the podcast, I felt that the show probably lost its best ideas 
toward the end of season three and probably didn't need renewal. But here we are. There is something each year that is an absolute highlight for me. And that is they do like the fictional headlines that they throw in with the good ones. And Kim probably doesn't even know, remember this because it was a busy week. But I showed her one of the fictional ones and it was an outfielder for Seattle leading them to the playoffs. And his name was Michael Jordan. In this scenario, he stayed with baseball and he became good enough to lead the Seattle Mariners to the playoffs. I love little things like that. But at some point during this show, Ron Moore started pulling away from it. And you can tell because without Ron Moore, this kind of collapses from a storytelling perspective. We've already got, you know, like a big reach that we're trying to cover here because, you know, we have settlements on Mars by this point. And most of the people you were watching the show for during the first three seasons have died, many of them in space or explosions. So it is a bunch of new people you don't really care about. And the stories just aren't resonating as much with me. So I am going to finish watching season four, but I'm only doing it out of loyalty because the season premiere of three was legitimately one of the best hours of television I've ever watched. If not for that loyalty, I probably would have tuned out by now. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 